The Book of Revelation Unveiled Chapter 8, The Destruction of Satan's Kingdom Down through the ages, God's servants have asked certain questions again and again. When will he eliminate Satan's influence? When will man's inhumanity to his fellow man cease? The book of Revelation answers these questions. John writes, Then I saw another portent in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which were the last, for with them the wrath of God is ended. Then one of the four living creatures gave the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with wrath of God. Revelation 15 verses 1 and 7 in RSV. Before we examine the nature of this final phase of God's punishments on human beings who have refused to repent, Revelation 16 verses 9 and 11, we need to get our bearings regarding the setting of these plagues. As we have already seen, those who worship the beast will be recipients of the full strength of God's indignation that these three seven last plagues represent. Also, these things will be completed in the presence of the Lamb. Revelation 14, verses 9 and 10. These words indicate that all of the seven last plagues will occur within a brief time. As Christ descends through the clouds, every eye will see Him. Revelation 1, verse 7. Compare Acts 1, verses 9 through 11. These verses imply that as these punishments occur, Christ's direct involvement with them will be visible to the whole world. It is important to remember that these seven plagues represent final aspects of the seventh trumpet, or the third woe, including the return of Christ, Revelation 11, verses 14 through 15. The purpose for his return is to destroy those who destroy the earth, verse 18. In other words, Jesus plans to personally oversee the final phase of the destruction of Satan's kingdom. The seven last plagues will complete God's punishment and destruction of the evil satanic system of government, culture, and religion that began in ancient Babylon. How will God bring this phase of His plan to a close? What impact will its completion have on the nations? God's plan in destroying Satan's kingdom with a special focus on its leading city, Babylon the Great, is designed, to change, is designed to change the worship patterns and practices of the whole world. After he completes that destruction, all nations shall come and worship before God. Revelation 15 verse 4 That will be an incredible reversal. Why? Because at the beginning of the plagues, those nations are engrossed in the worship of the beast and his image. Revelation 14, verse 11. This includes the worship of demons and idols of gold, brass, silver, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. Revelation 9, verse 20. Not only must Satan's kingdom be destroyed, but the citizens of every nation must understand that God, who gave the Ten Commandments to ancient Israel, is the source of the destruction. They must see that the gods and idols they serve are utterly defenseless and powerless before God, whom they have refused to obey. Chapters 16 through 20 of Revelation give us details that show the living God accomplishing this. 
The Seven Last Plagues Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath to the earth. Revelation 16, verse 1 God has carefully chosen each of these seven punishments. Each is directly related to the sins of the evil system as a whole, a system focused on enjoying pleasures and riches regardless of harm inflicted on others. Many of those living in it who have understood and practiced what is true and just have been persecuted and killed because they are out of step with society's twisted views and attitudes. Notice the attitudes of the people in general in the last days. Paul described them as lovers of money, without self-control, brutal, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 through 5. He describes them as obsessed with the knowledge, but woeful lacking in understanding, always learning and never being able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 7. This is a thoroughly deceived society. God shows that He will be able to reach their blinded minds only by causing them to reap what they have been sowing. That is what He intends to accomplish with the seven last plagues. The first angel went out and poured his bowl on the land, and ugly and painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. Revelation 16, verse 2, NIV. Their misguided worship, their form of godliness without substance, has been the prime cause of the pain inflicted on God's servants. So the first plague turns that anguish back on its perpetrators. The second angel pours out his bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. Verse 3 NIV The kingdom of the beast had been systematically killing the servants of God. Now the sea becomes a lake of blood, an escalation of the earlier second trumpet plague. Densely populated coastal areas will be blanketed with the stench of blood and dead fish. The returning Christ will force those supporting the beast warfare against his servants to be personally overtaken with the stench and repugnance of death. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and spring water, intensifying the impact of the earlier trumpet plague. And they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments. You who are and who were the Holy One, because you have so judged. For they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Verses 4-7 through seven, NIV Remember all of this is happening very quickly, in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Revelation 14, verse 10 The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and the sun was given power to scorch the people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had control over these plagues. But they refused to repent and glorify Him. Revelation 16, verses 8-9, through 9, NIV. Satan's kingdom is founded on a form of godliness, 2 Timothy 3, verse 5, that has consistently substituted many of the traditions that began in ancient Babylon. His kingdom has been at war with those who are keeping the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Revelation 12, verse 17. Therefore God, who has control of everything everywhere, 
will turn against that kingdom, the very sun they unwittingly worship. The modern custom of substituting Sunday, the day originally dedicated by the pagans for worshiping the sun, in place of the biblical seventh-day Sabbath, is one clear example of such worship. Also, the custom of keeping Christmas comes from another ancient tradition of celebrating the annual rebirth of the sun, ancient tradition of celebrating the annual, quote, rebirth of the sun at the winter solstice. As almost any encyclopedia will tell you, December 25th was celebrated in ancient pagan religions as the birthday of the sun, then later adopted as the supposed birthday of Christ. To better understand God's perspective on such practices, be sure to download or request your copy of Holidays or Holy Days, Does It Matter Which Days We Keep? Jesus reprimanded the people of his century for substituting human traditions for God's commands. He said, In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And all too well you reject the command of God, that you may keep your tradition. Mark 7, verses 7 and 9. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. Men gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. Revelation 16, verses 10 through 11, NIV. God now adds the terror of total darkness, more so than the earlier fourth trumpet plague, to the pain of the sores, the stench of blood, and the excruciating heat they are already experiencing. Darkness is an appropriate plague because of the spiritual darkness the beast has cast on the world. The nations gather to fight Christ. The sixth angel pours out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water is dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are spirits of demons, performing miraculous signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them from the battle on the great day of God Almighty. They gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Verses 12-16 NIV Again, let's remember that the seven last plagues are the culmination of the seventh trumpet or the third woe. As we saw earlier, the sixth trumpet, the second woe, introduced a global military onslaught on a scale never seen before. Now, the sixth of the seventh last plagues presents a mobilization to the final throes of this struggle. In anticipation of Christ's appearance in the clouds, God has allowed Satan and his demons to create seemingly miraculous signs to motivate world leaders to move their armies into the Holy Land. While their initial intent may be to fight each other, they will join forces against the returning Christ. Satan's objective has always been to fight Christ at his coming, using the armies of the world. The armies are now gathered at Armageddon, the Greek form of the Hebrew word Har Megiddo, or Hill, or Hill of Megiddo, about 55 miles north of Jerusalem, apparently on the vast open plain that lies to the east of this site. The final battle to take place at Jerusalem, see Zechariah 14, 
is about to begin. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl onto the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. Revelation 16 verse 17. All of God's efforts to reason with human beings are now over. Yet humanity still stubbornly refuses to repent. As mankind's Savior descends to earth, John explains that great Babylon is remembered before God to give her the cup of wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Verse 19. This is accomplished partly by a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Verse 18. Islands and mountains disappear as the earth shakes and shudders. Verse 20. Notice what accompanies these vast earthly convulsions. From the sky, huge hailstorms of about a hundred pounds each batter the earth and its inhabitants. Verse 21 NIV. Satan's modern Babylonian kingdom is being systematically demolished. Why Babylon the Great is Destroyed. Chapters 17 through 19 explain the reason for the harlot city's destruction. They also describe the fate of the armies Satan has persuaded to fight against Christ as he descends to the Mount of Olives just outside the old city of Jerusalem. We have already seen that Satan's influence on mankind, especially over the kingdom of the beast, the great harlot city who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Revelation 17, verses 1 through 2. She has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit. Revelation 18, verse 2. More than any other Western city, Rome, heir of ancient Babylon's mystery cults, has a history of being drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Revelation 17, verse 6. Influenced by a religious system that has led the way in opposing obedience to the commandments of God, Rome has allowed and often has led the charge in persecuting those who keep the Ten Commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Revelation 14, verse 12. No city in the world fits the description of Revelation 17 as she does. Pictured as a harlot, sitting astride the beast, the Ten King Empire, of which she is the cultural and spiritual center, is the city of John's prophecy. This city of John's prophecy will yet again exert a vast influence over the earth's peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. Revelation 17, verse 15, NIV. As she has so often in the past, she will once more enjoy the fame and status of being the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Verse 18. In that end, however, her honeymoon with political leaders will turn sour. The king supporting her widespread influence will come to despise her. Possibly they will finally recognize that God is not with her, that her claims of divine support are a lie. Whatever the reason, they will turn on her with a vengeance. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose 
by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. Verses 16 through 17, NIV. Chapter 18 describes the reaction of many of the world's most prominent people to the burning of this mighty city. When the kings of the earth, who committed adultery with her and share her luxury, see the smoke of her burning, they will stand far off and cry, Woe, O great city, O Babylon city of power! In one hour your doom has come. The merchants of the city will weep and mourn over her. Verses 9-11 through 11 in IV. The commercial aspects of Satan's kingdom, as described in chapter 18, reflect the favoritism and greed that have driven the entire system. Those who profited most include the merchants who have become rich by her, the shipmaster, and all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea. Verses 15 and 17. Your merchants were the world's great men, proclaims an angel. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. With her fall, the culture of Satan's empire collapses. His kingdom falls apart. God has warned his people not to get caught up in this evil system, lest they, too, become victims of her destruction. Then I heard a voice from the heavens saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Mix her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torture and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. Verses 14 through 18 NIV. All of creation is told, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Verse 20. The theme of rejoicing continues into the next chapter. After this, I heard what sounded like a roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are His judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of His servants. Revelation 19 verses 1-2 through NIV Christ's Victory John now describes Jesus Christ's magnificent return to Jerusalem. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider was called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. And his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressing up in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword, with which he strikes down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Verses 11 through 16 in IV. Let's not forget, Satan has gathered the armies of the nations to Jerusalem to fight Christ. Verse 19. At this point, God has given Satan the freedom to instigate the ultimate rebellion. But even in his rebellion, Satan is carrying out God's purpose. 
God wants to make it clear that all the armies of the earth are nothing compared to the power of His King, the conquering Messiah who returns to the holy city of Jerusalem. Long ago, God prophesied, I will gather all the nations to Israel to fight against it and fight against those nations as He fights in the day of battle. On that day, His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley. Zechariah 14, verses 2 through 4, NIV. He adds, The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day there will be one Lord, and His name the only name. Verse 9, NIV. Notice how Christ destroys the opposing armies. This is the plague with which the Lord will strike all the nations that fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths. On that day, men will be stricken by the Lord with great panic. Each man will seize the hand of another and they will attack each other. Judah too will fight at Jerusalem. The wealth of all the surrounding nations will be collected, great quantities of gold and silver and clothing. Verses 12 through 14 in IV. An angel then summons the scavenger birds to feast on the flesh of the armies. Revelation 19 verses Revelation 19 verses 17 through 18 and 21. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who has performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Verse 20, NIV. See, Satan the great seducer within this audiobook. An inset within this audiobook. As the kingdom of the beast is dismantled and destroyed, Satan and his demons must be stopped from deceiving and manipulating. Therefore, an angel seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. Revelation 20, verses 2 through 3. NIV. Satan's control over this present age, Galatians 1 verse 4, 1 John 5 verse 19, is then terminated for the next 1,000 years. The battle for the control of earth has finished. Christ makes saints rulers with him. The peaceful 1,000-year rule of Christ now begins. John immediately sees Jesus rewarding the saints for the suffering they have endured at the hand of Satan and his Babylonian system. John watches as martyrs came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Revelation 20, verse 4, NIV. See also Revelation 22, verse 12. As his faithful servants receive eternal life at the time of their resurrection, Jesus begins fulfilling his word that they would co-rulers with him. He had promised, To him that overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give him authority over the nations. And to him that overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I overcame 
and sat down with my Father on His throne. Revelation 2, verse 26, and 3, verse 21, NIV. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection, writes John. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. Revelation 20, verse 6, NIV. Daniel, long ago, also observed this wonderful occasion in a vision. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey Him. Daniel 7, verse 27, NIV. This is the beginning of the wonderful era often referred to by students of the Bible as the Millennium. For details about what will occur during Christ's millennial reign, download or request The Gospel of the Kingdom, What is Your Destiny, and You Can Understand Bible Prophecy. The Final Judgment We saw earlier that Satan will be constrained during the millennium. Yet we also read that after that, he must be set free for a short time. Revelation 20, verse 3, NIV. During the millennium, many will be born who will not be exposed to Satan's influence. God's way will be the only way they have ever known. Yet the scriptures reveal that God tests people to see if their obedience is from the heart. Deuteronomy 8, verse 2, Revelation 2, verse 10. One way he does this is to allow them to choose between good and evil. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. John indicates this will happen, that this will happen at the end of the millennium. Notice how it will occur. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in their four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surround the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Revelation 20, verse 7 through 9, NIV. God does not reveal if this is the only test he will use during the millennium to separate insincere people from those who are sincere. But it will certainly be the final and most significant test of the 1,000 years. It will be a vital part of the judgment process. Now comes time for Satan's permanent removal from the picture. And the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet were. And he will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Verse 10, Modern King James Version. He will never again be allowed to deceive anyone. A Second Resurrection But the process of judgment is not yet complete. Those who died without repenting before the beginning of the millennium must be judged. In this final judgment, God's mercy and wisdom becomes further apparent. 
Remember, faithful Christians are resurrected at Christ's return at the beginning of the millennium. Theirs was the first resurrection, verse 5. Yet a parenthetical note here states that the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. Same verse. The dead who are resurrected to appear before the throne of God, verse 12, after the thousand years have expired, verse 7, have never fully known God in His ways. They have never comprehended what it means to really repent of their sins. Are they resurrected to be condemned forever? Not at all. Notice the purpose of this second resurrection. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books of the Bible were opened. And another book was opened, which was the book of life. When God resurrects these people, he will explain the full meaning of the books of the Holy Scriptures to them. When they respond and repent, their names also can be written in the book of life. But notice what happens to those after being resurrected and receiving a clear understanding of what God expects of them still refuse to repent, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Verse 15. Punishment of the Incorrigibly Wicked Other scriptures indicate that a third group must be resurrected to be included in this final judgment of the wicked in the lake of fire. Jesus said that some would deliberately and knowingly despise the spiritual knowledge that God would open their minds to understand. This calculated blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, he said, would not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Matthew 12, verses 31 through 32. Those who have turned down all opportunities to repent and be forgiven must also be resurrected for the judgment at the end. Revelation 21, verse 8. These are people who have deliberately rejected God's way of life, even after they have been once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 6. They once were forgiven and given the Holy Spirit, but afterwards they chose to reject God's rule over them and blaspheme the Holy Spirit. For those who have maliciously trampled the Son of God underfoot counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sacrificed a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. Hebrews 10, verse 29. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Verses 26 and 27. It is important that we understand the purpose of the lake of fire. God has judged that all the wicked must be burned up. See, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. The day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. NRSV Therefore it appears that this final resurrection of necessity must include the wicked 
who have already been condemned to perish in the lake of fire, however few they may be, comparatively speaking. Victory over death. This brings us to a time, as Paul said, death is swallowed up in victory. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54. By the end of the final judgment period, all human beings who have ever lived will have been given the opportunity to choose between life and death, to repent and submit to God, to receive eternal life, or refuse to repent, and by doing so, choose eternal death. There is ultimately no middle ground, no other choice. Some, sad to say, will stubbornly cling to their self-directed course in spite of all the opportunities to repent that God makes available to them. God will not force eternal life on anyone. Those who knowingly choose not to repent will be judged by their actions and destroyed in the lake of fire. This is truly an act of mercy since such persons would bring perpetual misery on themselves and others forever. When all is finished, we are told, then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Revelation 20, verse 14. The judgment of God is complete. Never again will those who received salvation have to fear death. Death will be swallowed up in victory. This fulfills one of Jesus' prophecies. The Son of Man will send out His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all the things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous shall shine forth as the sun. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Matthew 13, verses 41 through 43. The inspiring explanation of the resurrections teaches us that the reward of God's faithful people is not to go to heaven as a disembodied soul right after death. Instead, it begins with waking up from unconsciousness to renewed life in the first resurrection when Jesus returns to establish the kingdom of God on earth. For a more complete explanation of what happens after death and God's promised blessing for his obedient followers, be sure to download the free booklets, What Happens After Death, and Heaven and Hell, What Does the Bible Really Teach? Thanks for listening to The Destruction of Satan's Kingdom, Chapter 8 of the audiobook, The Book of Revelation Unveiled. For the rest of this book, please visit ucg.org.